Hi, and welcome to Lessons I Learned in Law with me, Scott Brown. I'm founder and director at Harriet Brown In-House Legal Recruitment. I'm a recovering lawyer. On each episode of this podcast, you get to hear my conversations as I sit down with someone, a top legal mind or someone cool from the, the legal industry as we break down the lessons that they've learned in their legal career to date. Hopefully, you'll you'll leave the podcast and, and listening today with, armed with some useful information that takes you along your own career path that you that you can apply yourself. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Karen Vladek. Hi, Karen. Hey, how are you, Scott? Great, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. I've been following your progress and all that you've been up to recently. So keen to hear about your new start with Whistler Partners and your move into recruitment. A lot of interesting stuff to talk about. But outside of that, we'll learn about Karen's parenthood and her challenges that she faces, which she documents also on TikTok and in her own podcast, which again, we'll hear more about hopefully later. Do you want to do a quick intro, Karen, and introduce sure. yourself to people over on this side of the pond? <laughs> Yeah, I liked how you said recovering lawyer, because I am too. <laughs> so I am a, um, a, a recovering lawyer, as Scott just said. I was a litigator for 13 years, um, and I just recently, earlier this month, moved over to Whistler Partners. We are a recruiting firm in the United States that specializes primarily in technology, in in-house and law firms, of course. And we kind of work like at the convergence of technology, media, entertainment, and where all that stuff meets. I also place just like your regular run-of-the-mill commercial litigators. But because most of my colleagues are scared of litigators, I get all the litigators because as, as a former litigator, everybody thinks that that's the only people I want to work with. My husband, Steve, and I, who is a law professor at the University of Texas, we live in Austin. Um, we moved here after spending nine years in D.C., we have two kids, Maddie, who just turned six, and Sydney, who is three and a half. And we also host a podcast of our own called In Local Parents, which is a podcast about parenting and lawyering in that order. And we have on guests like you do, Scott, um, to talk about their experience being lawyers and also being parents. So we have on these really sort of like fancy people who are only in the spotlight for their lawyering or their legal careers. And then we're, we're all talking about the great equalizer in this world, which is kids, because once you have kids, they don't care where your degree is from. They don't care how fancy your job is. They don't care how many placements you've made this year. The only thing that they care about is that you are their parent. So it's been a really fun adventure to do that. And yeah, that, so that's really my background and bio. Amazing. I think the podcast has felt like a, this series anyway, has definitely felt like a parents club, uh, clubbing together with similar issues as well. So yeah, keen to hear more about that as well and how you balance, how you balance things. But we'll kick off and jump in with, with lesson one, if you don't mind, Karen. Lesson one. So I would say the number one lesson that I have learned, and I'm really seeing it now on the legal recruiter side is casting the widest net that you possibly can and seeing what comes back to you. That is advice that I have given to myself since law school. And it is advice that I give to current law students. And it's advice that I give to practicing lawyers. So at Whistler, our tagline is take the meeting. Um, and I'm sure as a recruiter, you agree with that concept, which is no one wants to change jobs. 
change is actually antithetical to the human condition. If you think about how we evolved as human beings, it was not to go from cave to cave to cave. It was to find the cave that worked for your family and build around that because actually it was dangerous for us to go out of those caves, right? And now if you transition that to what a modern life is like, most people feel really, really comfortable in that shell, even if it's not perfect. And so the wider net you cast, the more opportunities are going to come your way. So that, that's absolutely what I've learned in law because every job that I've had has been some sort of either personal connection or uh, somebody that I met because of something else or someone who had seen me on something. I know you mentioned that Alex Sue was on the podcast last year. Alex is how I got connected with Whistler. And Alex and I got connected because I just reached out to him on a DM, a direct message on Twitter saying, hey, do you want to do a TikTok together? I had never done a TikTok. And he said, sure. So, you know, again, it's one of those things that the wider net you cast, the better off you are going to be. So that would definitely be the first one. I definitely agree with it. I think as recruiters, there's, a, there's obviously a natural bias and people listening would uh, would say, yeah, you would say that. But yeah, genuinely everything I, I am a firm believer as well. Everything happens for a reason. And those meetings yes. that you take with an open mind is uh, the right the right approach. But I also think as recruiters, it's like just casting a wide net and meeting people doesn't necessarily mean you're going to change jobs, right? So one of the one of the things that we say at Whistler is like, if we end up going through the process and it's what makes you realize like your current job is perfect for you, then we also won, right? Because then when someone doesn't have a good job, there you're going to refer them to us. We never want to place somebody in a job just for the sake of placement, right? And so casting that wide net you may meet with somebody in-house that in two years is going to be like, oh my God, I love meeting that person. Let me send cases to them, right? Whereas if you just say, mm, I don't really think that I'm in a place to move or I don't want to talk to people, you miss out on that whole opportunity, right? And even if you have no intention of ever leaving your job and you're the happiest that you've ever been, you should still meet with people, cast a wide net in your networking, right? It's not just about switching jobs or finding that next position. It's about how do you build yourself as a brand, how do you, you know, generate business? All of those things I did in law, even when I had no intention of leaving my firm. So, so that's, yeah, that's my cast wide net. See what comes back to you like a fisherman. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's good. What about, I don't know, lawyers in private practice, for instance, that they're, they're maybe not incentivized to do that. Like they're not rainmakers or out to develop business. Yeah. And there are people who, there are genuinely people who business development is like the last thing on earth that they want to do. And that would be my husband, Steve. So he and I joke that we are lawyers on two polar opposite poles. We have the person who loves business generation, loves talking to people, loves pr like solving those everyday problems, lots of phone calls. I love when my calendar is filled from 9.30 to 5. And then you have my husband who wants to sit in a room, write a brief, solve a legal issue, explain super complicated legal principles to people. But he still has a super wide network 
it's just people who are in that same place or who want to learn from him or who, you know, value his expertise. And he just does it in a different way. So when I say cast a wide net, it doesn't necessarily mean in the way that I was describing it of like business generation and networking to that next job. It means finding people who are interested in the same things as you, who when you need something or they need something, they can call you and rely on you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. What approach did you take to recruiters when you were in the position of the the hunted rather than the hunter? Oh, I was like, I just ignored them, just like everybody ignores me, right? I mean, look, I think that one of the things that I've learned being quote unquote on the other side is like the recruiters are trying to do their job. And I reach out to people because I genuinely believe in the jobs that I'm trying to place them in. And you as an in-house recruiter, I know that that's true, right? Because you wouldn't take on a job. You know, we don't specialize in in-house recruiting at any point in time. We probably have like 25 or 30 in-house jobs. But most of the time when I'm reaching out to someone, it's because I'm reaching out to a firm where I know notoriously know that they could potentially be happier somewhere else, Right. We don't reach out to people at firms where we regularly place at, A, because it would violate our agreement with them, but B, because I actually do think that not all firms are created equal. And if I can help someone get out of a firm where they're getting crushed and billing 2,500, 2,700 hours a year into a practice that they really want to do, that's a success for me. And if someone doesn't want that, like that's on them, right? If they don't want to answer recruiters, and I think every person has different needs in a recruiter. Some people really just want to get to the highest paying possible job. And then some people want someone who's going to kind of hold their hand every step of the way. One of my candidates this morning texted me and said, I put this up on LinkedIn this morning. And she said, you're like the fairy godmother of legal recruiting. And it reminded me of like the bippity boppity, you know, from Cinderella, because I literally am texting with her about what should I wear to my interview? What should I, you know what I mean? And I think when you're doing law firm placements like that and you get so ingrained in that candidate's life and they're making such a huge decision, that's what I love. And that's why it feels almost like being a lawyer, but just taking a different subject matter expertise and talking about it. And so when people ignore me, I'm like, that's fine. Maybe you'll come around in a year or maybe you'll never come around or maybe you'll work with someone else or maybe you'll direct apply. Like, I think at least in the United States, like we have so many lawyers here and so many law firms that if I send out 30 messages to people who I think I could be useful to and one of them writes back, like that's, that's a good day, you know? Yeah. 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 We're very similar, I think in that approach, but really directed headhunt, regardless of the level of opportunity, it's, it's important just to make it sing to that person to make sure that you know, that you, you know, that you're doing it with purpose then why would they not speak to you? Because at some point, or at least connect or whatever, engage in some level, because at some point they will need, to, like you said, take the meeting. I love the tagline or the hashtag that, that you guys use because you never, yeah, you never know when you're going to need someone or just market advice or insights. A very good first lesson. We'll move on to, to lesson two, Karen. Well, lesson two is sort of parlay off of lesson one, which is to always be open to new opportunities and not necessarily in jobs, right? So that this is just like something that I've learned as a lawyer and in life, which is sometimes practice changes, sometimes office move changes within your own organization, sometimes client meetings. You always want to be that person who 
clearly holds himself out to the world as someone who's open to new opportunities. I can think of all the amazing opportunities that I've gotten and had over my life. And it was always because I presented myself as somebody who was open and willing to take on those new opportunities. And I think some people shy away from that because they're introverted or they're happy with what they're doing. But even introverts can be open to new opportunities. It doesn't mean you have to be the most outgoing person in the room to put it out to the world. Hey, do you have a new brief? Do you have a new case? Do you have something new that you need some, you know, help on? I can be that person for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always paid tenfold back mm-hmm. to me just to say, I'm a person who is open to new opportunities. Yeah. How did it come around then? Your move, so you must've been open to the opportunity uh, for the, yeah. career switch, uh, the, the recent career switch you made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was at a small firm here. I had the best legal job on earth. I was a partner at a boutique firm doing exactly what I wanted to be doing with exactly who I wanted to be doing it with. And I still woke up in the morning and said, I don't want to do the actual practice part. And that was... You know, when you're a junior associate, you can kind of blame not wanting to do the practice on all sorts of other factors, right? I'm in big law. I'm doing this. You know, I don't have control over my schedule. I had it all. I had control over my schedule, full control. I was making great money. I had great colleagues. I loved my clients. But it was that actual practice part of it where I thought, I don't want to be doing this in 10 years. I don't even want to be doing this in five years. So I started to, you know, as point two, kind of hold myself out as open to opportunities. And I started talking to different legal recruiters because it felt like something that really connected with my personality, which was I've always loved lawyers and loved being around the law, but I didn't love the actual practice part of it. Loved business development, networking, connecting people. I've always been a connector. And I started talking to recruiters and some recruiters hate it right? I actually got a lot of folks saying, I don't like legal recruiting. I did it and I didn't like it. And I asked people why they didn't like it. And the number one thing that people said was like the rejection part, which is hard, right? Like people not responding to your messages or firms rejecting your candidate. And then also that so much of it is outside of your control because you can have the greatest candidate on earth. You can have a job that they say they want someone and then all of a sudden the budget goes away or an internal candidate gets it or your candidate screws up at the last second. You know, all of those things. Um, There is a lot that's outside of your control. And I was like, well, those things don't scare me, right? Those are, you know, not that uncommon with what I already have in the practice of law, which is there's lots outside of my control. And there's a lot of disappointment, right? Like, You lose motions, you lose things, clients go to somebody else. Like I was kind of ready for that. And so far it's been great. I've been really, really happy. And I, it was one of those things where I was talking with lots of different recruiting shops. And I said to myself, I'll know it when I see it. And within like 10 minutes of meeting Whistler, Sean Burke, who's the founder of Whistler was like, yep, I want you to join us. What do I need to do to convince you to come over here? So, you know, he saw something in me, I saw something in them and it was a match. Yeah. I was looking at when we were connecting and exchanging messages on this as well. Yeah. Just looking into the marketing around it and the content just sits really well with what you've been doing, obviously, as a bit of a side, the side hustle. Yeah. And I had kind of been talking with like all the big shops, you know, all the major names in the United States. And I looked at them and I was like, well, this is kind of like a law firm, but just for recruiters. And if I wanted to be at a law firm, I would just keep doing my own job. But as I've gotten more into like, you know, all the social stuff and TikTok and all that, I really wanted some place that embraced that. And frankly, Sean has not only embraced it, but like 
super encouraged it. Karen, post whatever you want, be 100% your authentic self out there. And, you know, I never wanted to like run a LinkedIn post by somebody in corporate. That's just not me. I never wanted to have to get that kind of approval. And Sean and Whistler is the way that we operate and the way that Sean Burke has operated his whole career is I am my authentic self. People that are drawn to me are going to be drawn to Whistler and we're going to work well together. People who want a super square recruiter who is 100% by the book, who's not going to be texting you at 11 o'clock being like, how did it go? Blah, blah, blah. Like really into all of the details. That's not a good fit, right? Um, and so, and it's the same approach that I took when I was in practice, which is I don't have to be everybody's lawyer, but the lawyer, the people who like me and the clients that like me, I want them to really like me, Karen, as a person. Yeah. Nice. And it's Austin kicking off over there, is it not? It's yeah. uh, quite a vibrant city. And, uh, listen, yeah. I hope I don't get cancelled for admitting, but listen to Joe Rogan in the past. Obviously, he's got ties to Austin. He, yeah, he, he lives a lot there. Of the tech scene and everything that's going down. Yeah. How's the legal market? The legal market's good. It's growing. I mean, Texas, I think a lot of people don't realize, but one in 10 Americans live in Texas. So it's a ginormous state that I think actually in legal recruiting has been behind New York. So Whistler is in New York based and we have offices in San Francisco and LA. And it's very, that's very typical, right? Because those are the three biggest legal markets plus Chicago. And in Texas, we have Houston, which is a huge legal market, Dallas, which is huge and, and Austin as well. And a lot of firms are moving to Austin because their tech clients demand it and they want a more forward facing, um, you know, a more modern law firm. And so Austin is a natural fit. It was a natural fit for Whistler. They've been wanting to expand here a lot. And we've gotten a really, really great response in Texas. Lots of candidates coming out. And so it's been good. That's great. I've been to Austin. My wife studied uh, a year in uh, UT. Um, oh, cool. Law, she's a lawyer. So um, in her law exchange program. So uh, really yeah, nice. she loved it. And uh, yeah, I know that they... I think at UT, they do something at Oxford um, where they go and some of the teachers, some of the professors go teach at Oxford for like a summer. Right. And so I'm like, come on, Steve, get it. Let's go to, let's go to England for a summer. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe more possible now that the world is getting a little bit more, more normal. How did you guys come to start in local parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this ties into, I guess, my third lesson, which is like about how social media can be a really great connector for your work and life. Yeah. So over COVID, my husband, my husband had always been on Twitter. I was sort of on Twitter, but it's really started to expand when we were in COVID and we were like locked down together. We couldn't talk to anybody else. And he's he's got a decent following. And so I just started to like sort of mock him a little bit on Twitter. We would have banter. And one of our friends who went to law school with Steve, who is a producer on the Rachel Maddow show on MSNBC, reached out and said, you guys should do a podcast. And my husband had already done a podcast with one of his colleagues called the National Security Law Podcast. And so we kind of had the infrastructure and the equipment and whatnot. And we were like, well, it's COVID, why not? So we just started chatting and talking. We had no vision for the podcast. We still kind of have no vision for the podcast. Um, it's been, you know, really just like a connector for this world that oftentimes is overlooked, which is parents that are also professionals, right? So there's tons of podcasts for professionals. There's tons of podcasts for just parents, but there's not that many for 
parents that are also professionals. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of a niche that we wanted to fill and that's where it started. Yeah, it's great. I've listened to a few of them and do my research. Jealous of your trip to was it Disney Disneyland you were recently? Yeah, yeah. We just oh, <laughs> see you're you're in you're in England, so you got it earlier than most people in the states are just waking up. Oh no! Uh, but yes, spoiler alert. We were in Disneyland <laughs> last weekend with our kids, so we talked about that. Yeah, this week on the podcast. Cool. So Twitter, I'm a big user of LinkedIn, but Twitter, uh-huh. TikTok, how do you manage the time to create content and keep on top of it? So I think that one of the reasons that, that Twitter was sort of my initial social media platform is creating content on Twitter is extremely easy and takes very little time, right? So first of all, you're maxed out at 280 characters. So it's there's not like that LinkedIn sort of longer post or coming up with interesting content that lots of people are going to like. Like on Twitter, I can just throw something up and sometimes I'll get tons of engagement and sometimes I'll get very little engagement. And it doesn't matter because it's not uncommon on Twitter to have two or three twi- tweets a day. Like that's just not uncommon. Whereas on LinkedIn, like it would get a little aggressive if people were posting two or three times a day, right? Like, I don't think, A, I don't think the algorithm would really like you. And B, like, it sort of devalues what you've already posted. I know Alex Sue and I have talked about this a lot of, like, he spaces out his LinkedIn posts on purpose because otherwise the the posts that you already have up don't get the same engagement that you want. And so Twitter is a very different platform. It is meant to be used in a sort of one-off, you know, There are exceptions, of course, where you do like thoughtful threads and those take a lot more time. Like when I was in private practice, I would do substantive sort of thoughtful threads. But now for for Twitter, like it's just firing things off here and there. I don't plan my content in advance for Twitter. I don't plan my content in advance for LinkedIn either. And a lot of times what happens now is I've just started to get into LinkedIn because I think it's a necessary evil of recruiting. Like it's, it's our number one tool in terms of learning about people's professional lives. But I'll take something that I'll put up, put up on Twitter and it will spawn a thought in my mind. And then I will do a lengthier post on LinkedIn because there's no character limit. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how I'd make my content. For, tw- for TikTok, it's a lot more work. And I really have to be like inspired and come up with something creative. I do not put pressure on myself to make TikTok content. If something comes up that's interesting to me, I do it and then I post it and I don't worry about followers or likes on there at all. Yeah. Alex is absolutely prolific, isn't he? He's just He's prolific. Like, I don't understand. Did you see his recruiting one from earlier this week? I was cracking up. It was so good. It was it just, <laughs> I, it was so good. And I, it was, my first initial thought was, oh my God, I really wish I had done that. Like his, <laughs> his posts are amazing. He's so good, so talented. And he's figured out how to use TikTok, which is kind of the first issue because TikTok's a, li- a lot more complicated with the videos, right? Yeah, God, yeah. I've been looking looking into it with my colleague Katie as well. We've been brainstorming and trying to. It's taken that first plunge. It's the same with when I started the podcast. Just the self doubt and uh, imposter syndrome. Why am I exactly. doing a podcast? Um, and then it becomes a little bit of second nature. Exactly. Exactly. And goes back to what you're saying about kind of take the meeting and just throw yourself into something. And what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Um, exactly. But, um, but yeah, I've been asking, I've, I appreciate your, your time um, and, and sort of running, running through the lessons. There's loads I could ask you about, about recruitment and why, why now and we've, we've sort of spoken about that, but also your employment law background and the ties into recruitment. But I've been sort of 
stopping or finishing the podcast with a question this series for everyone is what what would you throw into room 101 so i don't know if it's a familiar concept and i don't think it's an, a british concept but the room 101 is where things are um thrown into and never to be seen again so from the legal profession oh. anything tied to law at the particular law that you hate would there be something that you would throw in there room 101 okay room 101 so things that i would get rid of in the law so one thing that i would get rid of you know i think that a lot of people especially as junior lawyers have a a lot of personal self-doubt and imposter syndrome in the legal profession i see it particularly with women and particularly with people of color who feel like they should not be in the room and there is 100 percent a need to fake it until you make it so in room 101, I would put imposter syndrome because we all have it, no matter how senior you are. I mean, I just literally changed careers after 13 years going into something I had literally no idea how to do. And in my first day, I'm calling people and asking them to trust me with their career. And I just had to put on a face of like, I can do this. I know that I will be able to do this because I am a successful person who will be able to do this. And so I'm putting imposter syndrome into room 101. Great. I'll support you on that one. Uh, (laughs) I think it's good. I think it's rife within the profession. I mean, it's rife in all society, but I think within legal as well, we're trained, lawyers are trained definitely to be risk averse and and yeah, the self-doubt creeps in. That's great. Well, thank you very much for taking the time uh, out of your busy diary, and it's been great to great to hear more about your career and and also the recent the recent developments in that. I will keep a keen eye on things on on LinkedIn and Twitter and what have you, and um, yeah, hopefully we can speak again in the future. Awesome! Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. Well, who would have thought two legal recruiters sitting down talking shop would would be so interesting? (laughs) We hope you found it that way. Uh, It's a little bit different and self-indulgent, but good to chat with Karen there on all things things law and legal recruitment. Check her out on LinkedIn and give her podcast a follow in local parentis. Great stuff about parenting and law. Thank you for listening to Lessons I Learned in Law. For more information on all of my guests and to check out previous episodes in the series, head over to harrietbrown.com forward slash podcasts where you can check them all out. I'm Scott Brown. See you next time.